Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Football Outsiders live stream for January 26th, 2022. I'm Aaron Schatz, Editor-in-Chief of Football Outsiders. I'm joined by Mike Tanier and Brian Knowles for today's live stream, where we will be taking all of your questions on anything, really, the NFL championship round, the uh, situation in New Orleans, the coaching carousel, GM hires. We'll take all of your questions. Hopefully you're watching live on either uh, Twitch or YouTube, so you can ask us questions live. But uh, we're also live, of course, on Twitter and Facebook, and you are listening to us after the fact on the Football Outsiders podcast network. If you are watching us, we are surrounded by little things. We are surrounded by little graphics. You get the stream schedule. You get our offer for uh, FO+. Plus. 99 cents a week for an annual subscription, still going. You get our odds to win the Super Bowl in one corner. Uh, links to find us on all your favorite social media. Don't forget, by the way, to subscribe to the show on your favorite social media so that you get all of our shows. We'll be back again tomorrow, of course, like doing specific previews of the games. But today is sort of the general, like, let's talk about everything Yes. Uh, good afternoon to Joey Sucks, and it is afternoon for Brian. Just barely. <laughs> Despite being a 49ers fan, Brian is in Chicago. Yes. Mm. Cold in Chicago. Yeah, for the weather. That, yeah, that's what, that's exactly why I moved here, so it's fantastic. For the great weather, because I, I saw uh, Ryan Poles pull up in his new Mercedes, and it was really cold in Chicago. Yes, not, not cold inside that Mercedes, I'll tell you that very much. The advantage of being the general manager is you get to watch the game from behind a window. <laughs> Good point. Uh, so the first question we got, you know, we put out there on Instagram and Twitter that we're doing the Ask Us Anything show, and we get a few questions before the show starts. And the first question that we want to take on is from Parker Shorey, who just asked, how do I make sense of this New Orleans situation? Which is a pretty all-encompassing question, but obviously the world was shattered yesterday when Sean Payton announced his retirement. Uh, other than Brandon Brooks retiring today, I cannot think of a single retirement in any facet of life that would be a bigger news story right now. <laughs> And Sean Payton retiring. I can't, I mean, I can't think of a bigger retirement. But in our world, it certainly is a very big retirement. Obviously, look, Payton led a lot of years of success in New Orleans. And we can talk about how much success was due to Breeze and how much success was due to Payton. It is notable that Payton had a better record without Breeze than Breeze did the year that Payton was suspended. Mm. Obviously, the success had a lot to do with both of them. And now they are both gone so yeah. the first way to make sense of new orleans's situation is just they're both gone like the quarterback and the head coach that led you to all the success over the last 15 years are both gone um you know arjun menon from pff had an interesting tweet where he showed the amount of restructure uh restructurable money for this for every team and then the amount that they're over the cap and the saints have a lot of restructurable money yeah even though they're like 74 million over the cap or something for next year and you were uh, not a big fan of that take mike and i think part of the reason you weren't if i can kind of get ahead of what you might say mm -hmm. 
is that the problem with that take is that uh, there's no talent left after all the restructuring, right? Right. <laughs> the right. problem is that um, there's no quarterback and Jameis Winston is going to be a free agent and you probably right. can't keep Teron Armstead and who knows right. what you're going to do about Michael Thomas. And once you restructure all these guys, like what on earth is left behind? Right. You're, you're restructuring Cam Hayward, I guess, or Demario Davis or some other 30-something or some, one of the younger players who's not a blue-chip player that's somebody that you want to keep on and on and on, and you're doing that to get this diminishing returns. And That's one of the things about salary cap analysis. Like Some people just look at the salary cap number and say, that's bad, that's good, there's a lot of money, there's little money. Some are more involved in that, and then some will get to this thing like, well, yeah, uh, the Saints will be able to get the Saints will be able to get solve it and they'll be able to get under the cap. So they'll find, yes, they will move heaven and earth to get together this eight win roster at best this year by extending older players. So I'm looking at it. It's like, yeah, I can find ways to get them solve it. And maybe they're not going to be able to keep Armstead. I can't imagine they, they're going to find that kind of money because he's going to be a marquee free agent. Maybe they can get Williams or something like that. I don't think they're going to be able to keep Winston. Sure. They can field a roster. How are they this year, next year going to improve? There is no way to frame this. It says, oh, they get under the cap, then they sign a guy, and then they find a quarterback, and then they get good. I, there's no avenue to that. Yeah, if they were, if this was a 13-win team, then yeah, you, yeah, you, you can yeah. keep everyone on the current roster. That's, that's oh. fine. It's actually not that difficult as long as you're willing to renegotiate with everybody. Right. But this, was, this, you know, this is an eight-win team with, with no quarterback going forward. There's... You need to basically do what the Patriots did. You need to get lucky on the first round quarterback, and it needs to be needs to be good right from the start if this team is going to compete next season. And, and got, even the Patriots took a year. They took yes. a year where they got whacked by the salary cap. Right, and the the restructure for years was Breeze. They would restructure Breeze. So of course you restructure Breeze. Just like if you're satisfied with Aaron Rodgers' like uh, worldview, you extend him and et cetera, et cetera. Now there's, I think they're paying next year 13 million for Breeze. The restructures come to an end, and you do have to take that hit yeah. somewhere along the way. It's fine when it is your top end guys that you're paying two years out the road. Yeah, you're paying for those Hall of Fame seasons. When you reach the point where you're like, well, we're going to do this because we're going to be paying Malcolm Jenkins two extra years down the line when the Eagles got his best seasons anyway, then you are actually creating a bigger problem than yourself. And I mean, Sean Payton, look, did the wise thing for himself which is Sean Payton got out just as the cap got really, really bad. It's just a shame that he stuck whoever comes next with Taysom Hill, which I don't know. I mean, that contract made no sense when it was signed. Mm -hmm. And now it makes even less sense because now it's Taysom Hill for a zillion dollars for a head coach who's not fully in love with him. Right. Like, what is the point? Like, that's an unloadable contract. That was yeah. a cap restructure contract. I mean, it's an it's an it's a it's an un unloadable contract. Yeah, that's you know that's the thing. That, uh, Peyton claimed that thirty one teams would trade for Taysom Hill if if he was available. I guess now we get to find out if there's literally any other coach who's willing to go go with Taysom Hill. I don't I don't see it. I mean, I've been wrong before because I am an idiot. But that you ha that seems like to be a major uh, flaw in your coaching set. You have to find someone who is comfortable working with Taysom Hill. I just don't know if that person's out there. No. And somebody mentioned in the chat, you know, the Eagles got slammed with the cap this year and they're still trying to manage out. That's your best case scenario. I think for the saints next year is 
this Eagle season where Taysom does sort of Jalen Jalen Hurts type stuff. You get a young rah rah this Pumbaa coach that keeps the older players kind of happy to be there, et cetera, et cetera. The schedule punks out like the Eagle schedule punked out this year, and that's very possible for the Saints, especially if there's another retirement that we cannot possibly imagine coming down the road, and you squeak to nine and eight. So that's possible, but that doesn't necessarily solve the problem. Also, there's no three first round picks. Also, Taysom, if he does this, is thirty three or whatever he is. He's not Jalen where you say, oh, well, he might still develop and might still be useful. By the way, I joke about Sean Payton, but would you agree with me if Tom Brady announced he was retiring today, that would get more news coverage than Stephen Breyer? If Tom Brady was retiring today, I would assume it would be to uh, get nominated for the Supreme Court itself. So, yes. (laughs) And Sean, somebody said that Sean Payton was making a Supreme Court run in the chat. The Supreme Court run, you're talking about Jerry Jones's tennis court, right? That's the Supreme Court that Sean Payton's going to run. Yeah. Jim Steckschulte says, how do I react to the Chicago beat writers' incessant need to breathlessly point out that Payton grew up outside of Chicago and played in college near Chicago? And we all agree where he's going next, right? Like, unless the Dallas Cowboys go to the Super Bowl next year, Sean Payton will be taking over the Dallas Cowboys in 2023. Everybody feels that's the way it's going to be. I don't know anybody who argues against it. He is not going to Chicago Bears, especially because I think he is honestly telling the truth when he says he wants one year off. Yeah. He's not going to any of the openings that exist now. He's going to an opening that will exist in a year. And let's all be honest, that opening is probably going to be the Dallas Cowboys. Right. Your, Your local beats have to do these things for engagement. Not everybody is a fan who really understands these things. You know, there, there are generalist fans out there and people who are just so, so you so you pump the local angle. It's, it's the job. We have to do it. CCX3 asks, who wins the NFC South with Peyton and Brady gone? It depends, obviously, on who the new quarterbacks are of those teams. It's folding into the... It's folding into the SEC, folks. That's the only. That's the I, only. I I would say the leader would be Carolina. I, I think it still might be Tampa Bay if they get even like an average veteran quarterback, and someone's going to be available. I mean, yeah, you have to assume they're not going to go with Blaine Gabbert. Although, um, Bruce Arians has said that Blaine Gabbert is the most underrated player in the NFL. Well, he might be right because we rate him pretty damn low. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, you you guys are short selling Kyle Trask here, uh, and the only reason I'm not saying the Falcons is because never ever ever bet on the Falcons. I'm never I'm 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 not I'm I'm not going to pretend that I'm an expert on lower round quarterbacks, but Derek Klassen's opinion of Kyle Trask, I do not think his position on a player could get any lower. Than his opinion of Kyle Trask. What about, what about Ian Book, though? <laughs> I think I think Derek liked Ian less. Yeah, I guess, but um, who, who might be the quarterback of the New Orleans Saints next year? By the way, yeah. um, that division is going to be a wreck. Um, Matt Ryan. I mean, Matt Ryan. You, it, it's not wrong to go with the team with the best quarterback, even if they have all kinds of other issues. Um, I mean, I don't know. Maybe they flip. Calvin Ridley for something? I'm not sure. Um, and one of the things we have to guess on this is, okay, Peyton retires. All those veterans in, on the Saints are like, hmm, see ya. At Tampa Bay, uh, it, Brady retires. 
Gronk is going to leave. Let's be blunt. He's saying right. Well, he'll retire. I don't see any reason why Gronk would want to play for another quarterback. Right. Yeah. Right. Sue is going to go find another paycheck someplace else. Um, and you're going to like so like these these veterans go. These teams could go down pretty quickly. Uh, Ryan Daniel says Sean Payton did a great job tanking the Saints and setting them up for a hard reboot. It's just too bad for his next employer that the Saints aren't in the NFC East. <laughs> He didn't tank the Saints. They competed for the playoffs. They're not they in the great year. For a long, long time. And they competed this year. That defense finished, what, second in DVOA or third? Second or third. And if Winston is healthy the whole year, the Saints are a playoff team and they are absolutely competing. Yes. Absolutely. Um, you know, not necessarily a Super Bowl team, but a playoff team. Hitchhiker's Pie says, what are your feelings on how much longer Ryan has as a productive quarterback in Atlanta or beyond? Um, I don't see any reason to think that he's falling apart. Ooh, you he's were. not. He's, 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 what, 2016 was a like a career year. We're not going back to that. He, he looks a little like – I mean, I watch a lot of Falcons football. He looks a little like Roethlisberger to me. Um, but without the expectations and without the baggage. I mean, there are times when he tries to escape the pocket or do something on the move, and it it looks bad. It just looks bad. So I don't know how much Matt Ryan has left. And if the Falcons are not going to start getting serious about getting a quarterback this year, I know I know this year's class is kind of, I've been starting to scout them like, but they've got to come up with some solution or they're just going to be in this problem in two years. Yeah. I think Ryan's still got a few more years before him, but maybe not on the Falcons, which is not, which they are not set to compete at this mo- at this point in time. Like if he, if well, he the NFC South may be such a wreck next year that they are absolutely set to compete if what they want is to win the division and hope that things happen in the playoffs. I mean, yeah, you, you could go for a 2020 Washington uh, uh, future here for you. I don't think that should be the goal of anybody. But <laughs> Um, so, I mean, I hope that that's a good answer to making sense of the New Orleans situation. It's not, it's not a situation that is complicated. It's, you know, they reached the end of the salary cap wall and Peyton said, I'm not staying for the rebuild and left. Yeah. That's, that's, it's, it doesn't take a lot of explanation. I don't think. He will be in Augusta at the masters in one of those VIP tents, sipping a cocktail and having a good time. And then he'll start getting the urge again and we'll see him again in Dallas in two years. Um, Jeff Masterson asked a few minutes ago, as a sports better, I am interested in predictive stats. Have you at FO ever done modeling to look at which of your adjusted stats are correlated to results and to what level? Thank you for saying that you love what FO does. I mean, listen, the general goal of DVOA, when it started, the goal of DVOA was sort of to split the difference between correlating to past results and correlating to future results. The more we work with it, the more we sort of tried to change it to be much more correlating to future results. So the goal of DVOA is to correlate to the future. Early in the season, you want to use Dave, which is the which incorporates the preseason priors, because obviously you don't want to believe things like the Carolina Panthers are the best team in the league after two weeks of sample size. <laughs> but in general, yeah, Dave and DVOA are the stats, the main stats to use to correlate to results. And that's how we try to predict games. And that's how we try to predict things going forward. And obviously, they're not perfect. And we'll work on more ways to improve them this offseason. I have some ideas like looking at blowouts and how teams perform in the fourth quarter of blowouts and possibly 
reducing the effect of turnovers for defense because we know that turnovers for defense are a little bit more random than turnovers for offense. And so we have some ways to look at it and try to improve things going forward. That's, but that's the best, you know, I mean, that's, that's, that's what we do. So you, I would say use Dave and then use weighted DVOA or use regular DVOA. And yes, as the, uh, whoever is doing the channel says, check out the FO explained folder on our YouTube channel to learn more about the basics of these stats. And of course you can always ask us questions Send us emails through the contact form on the site. Ask questions on the chat on this live stream, etc. Subscribers get weekly picks, and subscribers do get weekly picks, which were at fifty-three and a half percent this week against, uh, not this week, this year. It's Regular nice. season against the spread, fifty-three and a half percent this year. So uh, we pick almost every game when our predicted line comes within point one point of the actual line, which happens more than you'd think. <laughs> we don't pick those games. Hmm. Um, okay, another question that we got before the show, and this really gets us into talking about the championship round, but also last weekend's games, from Boone's Pacemaker was, now that Allen and Mahomes have transcended time and space, <laughs> how does the rest of the league catch up? The AFC title game feels more and more like a ritual sacrifice to the gods than a ball game. <laughs> I have a contrarian view on Allen and Mahomes, I think. Mm-hmm. I think I have two contrarian views on Allen and Mahomes. Mm-hmm. But you, do one of you, you want to go first, or do you want to hear my contrarian views? Let's have the contrarian view. Let's, 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 let's hear it. Number one, I don't think that this is some kind of gigantic change in how the NFL works. I think that it has always been the best thing to have the best quarterback. And I certainly can imagine teams coming out of the 2006 AFC Championship game, which was a shootout between Manning and Brady. Saying, They're coming for you, man. They are coming for you. You, you broke internet law by exercising common sense, and they are coming for you. I can imagine people having said, if we were doing this in 2006, if Twitter was big in 2000, you know, how on earth is anybody supposed to beat Manning and Brady for the next few years? And they did. Right? Like, man, were Manning and Brady way far ahead of the rest of the league? Yeah, pretty much. Did teams beat them anyway? They found ways. Not that Did much. It, you know, not that much. <laughs> it was better to have Manning and Brady than not have Manning and Brady. Right. But teams found ways. I, I feel like um, there is a lot of randomness in professional sports. There's a lot of randomness in the National Football League. Teams that do not necessarily have one of the two or three best quarterbacks will win championships because they'll go on little three and four game runs or their defenses will play really well or the quarterbacks will have bad games. Um, But obviously you would rather be Kansas City and Buffalo right now than anybody else or almost anybody else, which is my other contrarian take, which is um, Matt Verdam put up a thing about ranking the top four, uh, five young quarterbacks in the AFC, who would you put in what order? And I put Herbert ahead of Allen. Because I think that the fact that Herbert is more consistent from game to game than Allen does matter. And I think Herbert can also do things that transcend time and space. I guess 
That game against the Raiders was so long ago that we all forget that he converted fourth and long yes. 937 straight times. <laughs> but he didn't lose the coin flip at the end. So, you know. <laughs> um, I mean, I, I so, for, so first of all, I don't think Allen and Mahomes are necessarily the two best quarterbacks in the league right Because I, I think Herbert, I would take Herbert above Allen because of the consistency. Like what Allen can do on his best days is unbelievable like there, i mean there's no question like when alan's at his best he's phenomenal and the last two weeks he was absolutely at his best but you know it's hard to shake that nine to seven loss to jacksonville that those games came along more often for him than they did for herbert like herbert has bad games too yeah but alan is less uh is less consistent than herbert or mahomes i, I think we're saying the same thing though but I was just saying, well, it looks like these two quarterbacks and teams are going to go 14 and three every year. And like, you know, the other teams are going to be sort of what the, the Steelers were sometimes or the Chargers were sometimes during the Brady Manning era and trying their best and recalibrating things and signing guys specifically to try and get that occasional uh, bite of the apple. You know, and, and you're saying it's like, well, yeah, that's how it's going to be. And I'm like, oh, my God, that's how it's going to be. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, like, that's how it's going to be. CCX3 says, I'm a Chargers fan, and I think that the separating factor is how insane Mahomes and Allen are as well. That's, that's a big part of it. Herbert is not at that level, even though he's good. I think that that's reasonable. Mm -hmm. I think that the um, I think that the consistency thing outweighs the Allen running thing, but I'll agree that Allen's highs are higher than Herbert's highs because of the running. And, and the, the, 94 says people completely forgot about Lamar as well. In Matt Verdam's requesting that you at, uh, rank the five quarterbacks, young quarterbacks in the in the AFC, he had Lamar Jackson on that list, and I put Jackson fifth. Right, the list was, and this is the order I put them: Mahomes, Herbert, Allen, Burrow, and Jackson. And and I would have a similar list. I would still have Allen above Herbert. He has been doing it longer the running thing and i guess that's it the running is what makes this feel like it's a qualitative difference here like a new paradigm like a new paradigm because brady and manning were a new paradigm as of about 2003 2004 2005 when brady really ascended and it's like how are you going to stop these guys when they can go up to the line go hurry up offense read your defense immediately off this you know and, and break down everything you're doing and like that's a good question. How do we do it? And teams battle to find ways. And now it's like, how do we do this when both of these guys in different running styles can add this element and are firing 50, 60 yard touchdowns down the field regularly, et cetera, et cetera. And that's why, that's why, you know, it feels exactly like you said, like a different paradigm. Um, I'll agree with that, but there's still a place for pocket quarterbacks in this league. Don't forget that Tom Brady did lead the league in DYAR, not Mahomes, not Allen not Herbert. And Aaron Rodgers led the league in passing DVOA, not Mahomes, not Allen, not Herbert. Right. Right. Um, I mean, I, I, I know our numbers in particular don't like Burrow compared to EPA. It's a little confusing to me as to why that is given that EPA does downgrade you for sacks. I mean, I right. know that like ESPN's QBR only had Burrow like 11th or 12th also because of sacks. So uh, Hitchhiker's Pie says, is there any evidence for quarterbacks learning to avoid sacks well? Because Burrow is really bad. 
uh, I'm going to try to like pencil that in my brain to remember that we need to make that part of the Cincinnati chapter in next year's book. Because absolutely, if Cincinnati wants to take the next, I mean, look, maybe they win. Maybe they win this weekend. Maybe they win the Super Bowl. It's possible. In fact, by our odds, I believe it's like almost 10% possible. But in reality, I think to take the next step, Burrow has got to stop taking so many sacks. In particular, he's got to take so, stop taking so many big sacks. The 16-yard sacks have to become three-yard sacks, and the three-yard sacks have to become throwaways. It's nice Cincinnati they have a clear issue to work on. And sometimes you, when you think, well, how does this quarterback make the next step? You have to get to a little precise and maybe very intricate things. No, there's a very clear and obvious thing to work on. That's a Burrow getting the ball out quicker. That's improving the offensive line. There are a lot of concrete steps they can do. But, yeah, that's got to change. In I mean, I would have to do the research. I do not know if it is easier. What is easier to improve? Josh Allen's accuracy from three years ago. Right. Or Mac Jones's ability to throw deep or Burrow's ability to avoid sacks. I would guess that it's the ability to avoid sacks that's easiest to improve. But that's just a complete guess. Especially when you can do a straight personnel change to do that. You can get better offensive linemen. That's still not a high quality offensive line. And there's schematic things you can do that Zach Taylor needs to do, I think, to improve the the, the I was looking at it and I'll, I'll probably talk about it tomorrow. With four rushers, when the opponent just has four rushers, Bengals give up more sacks than anybody. It was just like this ugly thing. So you do not have to blitz these guys. You can't blitz them a lot because these receivers. Right, Burrow will kill you. Yes. Yeah, but you're just you're you're just losing four on five, four on five, four on five over and over again. Burrow has some culpability in that, but there's scheme things, lineman thing has to get done as well. Useful was first says, I don't know if it's really possible. Russell Wilson and Carson Wentz seem to have never quite learned how to avoid sacks. And also you throw some other names in there like Rob Johnson. Yeah, but yeah. Barrow's not like that. Barrow, Barrow doesn't look – he's not sitting there like like Carson. He's not running around crazy like Wilson. I, I forget what Rob Johnson did. But he seems to move around the pocket pretty well. He seems to make pretty good decisions in there. It's just that pocket is collapsing so darn often on him. Yeah, but I don't think it's just that. I mean, obviously, a, I think a better offensive line would help hide the problem he has taking sacks, but he has terrible, like, he, he takes a lot of sacks. That 16-yard sack that knocked him out of field goal range was brutal. Yeah. Like, he absolutely had to throw that ball away. Right, right. That's fair. That's fair. I don't know what he's got as check-down options, too, sometimes. Yeah. Some he's got Mixon, and he's got um, – Uzuma, and, and I'll point out, by the way, uh, if you're making prop bets, that uh, the Kansas City Chiefs were, I believe, 26th covering running backs in the receiving game. So that's just a little prop bet thought. Uh, we'll talk about that more tomorrow. Um, Hitchhiker's Pie says Tom Brady in 2001 had an 86 sacks percent plus. That's the pro football reference yeah. index of how his sack rate was compared to the average then reached 111 the next season. So, yeah, Brady as a rookie took a lot of sacks. That, you know, so Burrow, it's only been two years, so he could improve. Uh, Rodgers has always been average or below average, apart from when he was randomly great in 2020. He threw the ball away so much in 2020. Like, yeah. I mean, that was the league. That was the year. The, he, I think he just had so many throwaways. Uh, Devontae's not here. But, yeah. uh, <laughs> but downfield passers are going to take more sacks. Scramblers generally take more sacks. 
guys who are expected to play more vertically, whether it's scheme wise or their personal proclivity, whatever, are going to take more sacks. And that's Rogers. Certainly that's Wilson on both sides of that. Doesn't mean it's optimal, et cetera, but Burrow is a, is expected to be a downfield passer has a reputation and quality of a downfield passer. You've got to minimize those sacks. They're probably not going to go away unless you build the 1992 Cowboys line. Right. Um, Joey sucks asked us before the show, is there something to defensive lines running out of gas at the end of games, either against quality opponents or late in the season between anecdotes like uh, the Rams D falling apart and the 10 and one record of playoff teams who win the coin toss with the current overtime rules. It feels like a thing. All right. So let's talk a little bit about overtime rules because a lot of people have talked about them. Um, I think you looked into this, Mike. The 10 and 1 record of playoff teams when they win the overtime toss is like some of those wins are not on the first drive. I'm laughing because Brian sent me the stuff on Twitter and you threw it to me. Uh, you looked at the data too, right, Brian? Yeah. Yeah. I think like about half of those wins have been, just, it, it's, it's definitely an advantage going first. But it's yeah. not a huge advantage going first because half the time you get stopped, then you stop them and get the ball back. Yeah, right. it's great to have always have the first shot at it and it's back and forth, back and forth thing. But I don't think it's this crazy problem that all of a sudden you ought to change the rules to, to handle. The it, fact, and I think that looking at 11 games where most of the time the better team won anyway, right. that's such a small sample size that right. people are just going, oh no, but 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 Josh Allen lost when, when three years ago, was, but Patrick Mahomes lost. Good quarterbacks lose in the playoffs. It happens. It's really going to be okay. Right. I believe, was it six teams went down the field and scored a touchdown? I believe that's right, yes. I believe, And then the the rest of them, and then there was one that was the Saints game where it was back and forth. But one of the one of the Magic 10-1 and one was the double overtime game between the Ravens and the, and the Broncos. Now, of course, the, the coin flip disappears from meaningfulness after a certain number of possessions. Otherwise, we'd be talking about the team winning the opening toss of the game, winning the game here. So the 10-1 and one is really manufactured. So, I mean, I agree with you, Brian. It's, I think it's an advantage to go first. I think everyone does. That's why teams will receive. But I don't think that we have this miscarriage of justice that we're talking about right now, all across the Internet now, three days afterwards. Um, we're just, I think yeah. that no matter what you set the rules at, Somebody has an advantage. Mm -hmm. and it is I, impossible to set rules for overtime where neither team has an advantage. Unless you go back and forth, back and forth, back and forth until you get a stop. And then the team they play next week gets the advantage because they beat the crap out of each other until three in the morning. Even the back and forth, back and forth, you give the team that goes second has an advantage because they know what they have to do every time. Right. You can, if you start going like Calvin ball rules, you can actually start get, taking rid of that. Like first team gets the ball and does whatever, and the second team has to beat that. Maybe so, if you score a field goal, the second team then has to score a touchdown. Right. But that's the college rules essentially are, and the college rules give a major advantage to the team that goes second. Yeah, hmm. I think I think honestly the the, simp the simplest answer for this, if you're upset about the coin toss. Get rid of the coin toss in overtime. Have the home team get the ball first in overtime every time. In the regular season, that bounces out because half the time you get it, half the time you don't. In the playoffs, it's part of the advantage of being the better seed. You earned that coin toss. That way, or, everybody knows what's coming up. Everybody knows that you know it's the, it's the fourth quarter. You know what's who's going to get the ball. So if you score a touchdown, if you're the road team and you score a, a potential game tying touchdown, you can decide. Oh, do we go for two right now and avoid overtime and put all our season on this play? Or do we just tie it up and know we have to kick off in overtime? 
Right. The only the other place to way to make it kind of fair is to do the spot and shoes auction thing that the Ravens suggested that Michael David Smith wrote about on Football Outsiders back in 2003, where you move the first line of scrimmage back and you auction off, you know, we're willing to take the ball at the 20, we're willing to take the ball at the 18, we're willing to take the ball at the 60. Like how far back are you willing to go? That, I feel that's going to appeal more to people who are listening to this podcast and general right. NFL fans. Listen, right. you know, like people, like, oh, but let's not play Monopoly. Let's play Twilight Imperium. So like, let's not have these super complex. <laughs> I love it. I love it because it's complex and very interesting. And I think the casual fans would just get mind boggled by it for years. I, right. I was just mind boggled by it. Right. Like, like, yeah, we'll have a fifteen minute, like, yeah, like parlay at at, at halftime to solve this, like. No, you're exactly right, Brian. I love your solution. Yeah. If everyone's going into overtime saying they're going to get the ball first, it's going to impact the fourth quarter uh, policies too. And like the the team that uh, the home team might be like, oh, we'll just play for the tie and go overtime. The other team will try to stop it. It's not the end of the world if you do that. Hockey did that for forever, you know, to to play for the tie on the road and all that stuff. So because one of the questions we got was, oh, what change can you make to avoid overtime? Well, the number one change you can make to avoid overtime is to get rid of overtime. If you erased overtime from the league this year and made all those overtime game ties, exactly two playoff teams would change, and no team would move more up and down more than one seed. Mm-hmm. The uh, the Eagles and Steelers would be out, and the Saints and Colts would be in. It's mm-hmm. really not that huge of an issue for all the air it's been taking up over the past few days. Yeah. The, the one thing that I think I suggested on the show last week, so I'll suggest again, even though I know they can't really do it for TV purposes, is it does seem like a lot of these shootouts go to overtime and the defenses are gaffed. Yeah. And I, and I would love to see them take a 10 minute break to give the defenses a little bit of rest before they played overtime. But I understand why for TV purposes, that's not possible, especially not just in the regular season, but especially in the playoffs when you're waiting for another playoff game to start. Right. I think it would be more fair that way, but I understand why they couldn't do it that way. I mean, Joey Sucks asked, what are some changes that could be help, made to help ensure games end in regulation? Besides just eliminating overtime altogether, I think making field goals harder would make sure more games ended in regulation. Right. Getting rid of the extra point. So big teams have to go for two every time. So now touchdowns are six or eight more more often, which instead yeah. of being seven, 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 seven. Yeah. Uh, Hitchhiker's Pie says, I want to live in the no-tie universe because it has no Pennsylvania teams and we get the Saints and Colts instead. <laughs> uh, I, uh, yeah, you're right. <laughs> Americans don't like ties, no. right? Like We know that other countries do better with the idea of ties in their sporting yeah. events than we do. It's just a fact. Right, right. I, I never. They don't bother me that much. So I'm like the, the oddball. There's like, oh, you played a long game. The final score was 21-21 you're tied. Obviously soccer fans are totally okay with ties. I, I was a hockey fans for decades were okay with ties. I don't know why it's such an issue here, but I, I will say, and you're talking about the television element of things though, Aaron, and that's it. Like this was the final game into the night. I guess people wanted to stay into the night and watch it. And if you're in the West coast, it's not into the night. If this is the first game of a three game set or, or, you know, like the previous week and all, and you're pushing the other games back, with fans in the stands and advertisers and things like that. That's why the NFL is not going to a college football type thing that could go for three and a half more hours. They want it as finite as possible. And you might say, well, I don't care because I'm going to watch all the games no matter what. You're not the the fan in the seats. You're not the advertiser. You know, you're not in this knock-on situation where the late game starts, possibly starts at 1030 at night, whatever. There's all these other factors to think about. Right. 
So that's why Jim Stecksholz says you can do a commercial break, the coin toss, another commercial break, and then another two minutes, and that gives you an eight-minute break. But again, you run into the problem of the games running into each other and going too long for television purposes. Uh, Jay Molnar94 says make field goal posts the size of the hashes. Wait, Wait. That, wouldn't that be wider? Yeah. Aren't they wider now? They used to be – why am I having – why am I glitching here? Uh, they used to be the same, and they sh they the goalposts in like seventy four. No, um, I don't know. Well, we just short circuited. I don't remember the history of, uh, of the goalposts. I'm not remembering the history of, of the goalposts. Um, um, <laughs> we're lost now. Another uh, question that we got earlier. Hold on, if I can get this to scroll back. I can't get it to scroll back. So, um. <laughs> Oh, do we know what percentage of outright wins in the NFL is based on first possession? I have no idea. Yep. Just like wins across every game, like you receive. First it's so about 50-50. <laughs> you would imagine. And if it's like 50.5, that's randomness. Yeah. Probably. Right. Um, Rivers says, I think the biggest feeling of unfairness is just that the Chiefs got the ball twice in a row. Well, you know, that's. Yeah, it would feel more unfair if the Bills hadn't also gotten the ball twice in the last two minutes. Like if this was something where like, you know, someone had spent like eight minutes on the game tying field goal drive and then gotten the ball and spent eight more minutes before they finally scored. That would feel a little bad if you're if your offense was on the bench for like 40 minutes of real time. But the Bills had the ball plenty. It doesn't feel that unfair to me. You just get a stop with 15 seconds left. And had the teams been grinding in the fourth quarter and not scoring, people wouldn't care. Uh, oh, we want to see 17 more highlight reel touchdowns, you know, because we saw a bunch of them in the fourth quarter. And I, I mean, I can relate. I mean, yeah, I do. But <laughs> yeah, you know, but like, like in a tip on another game, you might not. Oh, I need to see, you know, uh, uh, you know, Mitch Trubisky get his chance to add, to answer, you know, because yeah. it's back. When, no, no one in the Super Bowl is like, I need to see Matt Ryan answer <laughs> after the after the Patriots came back and rolled all over the Falcons. You know, yeah. it's a different thing. And by the way, Elijah G is saying the rugby rules. Those were football rules. Like you had to kick from the place you went into the end zone, uh, you know, in the 20s and 30s up to a certain point. And the hash marks were one of the things that they did to say, well, it's this hash, that hash. Um, but also, wasn't it in the early days, Brian, you know better than I do, the guy who scored the touchdown had to kick the extra point? That for for a very brief point of time in the NFL, yes. Right. They, they, eventually they, they got they got rid of that fairly early on, but yeah. Right, right. That'd be cool. yeah. The answer to CCX3's question, is there any reason not to adopt the Ravens proposal, is that it is too complicated for the average fan, which is different than the average fan who watches the Football Outsiders live stream. Simplicity is a virtue. It, it is a virtue in and of itself. Right. right. So if I don't um, understand it, I don't want to endorse it. And True Max says, what if the NFL did alternate shootouts after overtime like they do in soccer since NFL fans hate ties? I, I like that the current type of overtime in the NFL makes both teams play football. Yeah. Like you have to play defense. You have to play special teams. You have to kick off. You have to punt. If your first drive doesn't go anywhere, you have to play defense. If the other team gets the ball first, like at a certain point, the problem is that the bills defense folded in on at the end of the game. And part of that is that they were tired and, you know, we can talk about ways to try to deal with that, but I like the idea that both teams have to play both sides of the ball. I don't. I wouldn't want 
something like college where it was just, or, or even worse than college, at least college starts at the 25. I wouldn't want it to just be two point conversions back and forth. I like that. The overtime still feels like football. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Right. I mean, I, you know, they could do a thing where they automatically played a full 15 minute period. I think that would probably give less of an advantage to the team that received the kick, but it would still be an advantage and it would do the television problem. Right. It would. Right. Except that you go, you could go to double, triple overtime again. You, I mean, that can happen anyway. But is it sudden death after that first overtime? Is I guess. Any? Yeah. See, right. there's, there's, there's a lot, lot of knock-on effects. No matter what you change, something is going to pop up a problem somewhere. The current system is actually mostly fine, to be quite honest. Jeff Masterson says, "Shouldn't the NFL fix the chains and spotting technology before overtime? That causes hidden wins and losses every week." Well. We're not going to solve all the problems on this show. <laughs> We're at the bar solving all, all the world's problems here. My contrarian take is, you know, give or take a Sean Hockley hallucinogenic moment. The, the officiating is what it is. There's human error in the game. You know, that's part of it. I, I, like, I mean, some of the goofy stuff, obviously, I don't like. But the spots and things like that, it doesn't, it doesn't bother me that much. You know, it usually looks about where it's supposed to be. I guess a chip would make it better, but I don't know. It's not like the balls and strikes issue where in baseball, where an inch can be the difference between a huge play in and out. You, right. There are very rare situations where an inch matters in the NFL. Yeah. Uh, Hitchhiker's Pie says the 10 minute overtime is very unfair on the second team because eight minute drives are not unusual and really hamper some size in overtime. Well, I'll agree with that. I have no idea what the point was of going from a 15 minute overtime to a 10 minute overtime. I've never understood that. TV windows. TV windows. That's the point. The and also to try and shorten things if possible in these games so that the team isn't gas going like a Monday nighter goes into this level and you you're going into the next week. So there, there's all these things like that. And again, yeah, it's that's not fair. Nothing's going to be fair. You've reached a point where you've played to the point where all these little disadvantages come up. You know, something mm -hmm. somebody's going to potentially get semi screwed by it. You know? I know, people love to talk about the overtime rules, though. I think that this has been a good example, right? And the comments on our site are a good example. Right. People really, really do love to debate the overtime rules because I think they're looking for some kind of perfectly fair option that doesn't exist. Right. And I don't understand it because that game was magnificent. Yeah. You know, and I didn't get done that saying, my God, we need to see Josh Allen one more time out there. And then if he did it, Patrick Mahomes one more time. Right. The most likely result, given the way the defenses were tired, was that if you had a situation where both teams got the ball, the Chiefs would have scored a touchdown. Then the Bills would have scored a touchdown. Yes. Then the Chiefs would have scored a field goal. Then the game would have been over. Which that's fairer because <laughs> I don't I, I don't quite catch it. I, you know. Oh, Chad. No. Helping me with so, that. yes, the field goal posts are 18 and a half feet and the hashes are 53 and a third. So oh. matching the goal posts to the hashes might be a bit extreme. <laughs> that <laughs> might make the field goals really easy. The, the, the Packers team might, might enjoy that. <laughs> uh, here's another question we got before the show. Chris Evans asked, if the Rams had not brought in Stafford, Miller, and OBJ, they would be done by now. If they lose this weekend, what's the narrative? Is a championship game enough to justify going all in? Or is the story that the idea failed if they don't win the Super Bowl? Well, I think forget OBJ from that position because he they, they got him for, for nothing, essentially. He was released by the Browns. They scooped him up. 
I do think that this year is a success, no matter what happens from now. They, they, they had a very good year. They brought all these players. They're a game away from the Super Bowl. They're going up against their arch nemeses, whatever. This, this year, getting to the conference championship is a success. I do think that if you that when you trade multiple first round picks and a starting quarterback for someone, you're saying this is the deal. This is both necessary and sufficient to win us a Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. I do think they need to win while Stafford is on the team to justify that. And that's really a two year window when you look at the contracts and things like that. It's this year exactly. and next year. Yeah, I just, you, you can win it next year, and that's still okay. Although you might you, while you're here, you got to try while you're here, obviously. Right. I, I guess I know that the, the first round picks going out into the middle of the decade, that's a huge consideration. It's just weird that we have the all in conversation one year after the Buccaneers win the Super Bowl. And I know they didn't trade a lot of first pick, but they maxed the salary cap out. They're bringing guys in. That's an all in move. They're, yes. I mean, all in moves have the potential to work and they are sometimes, like you said, necessary. Sometimes they're they're sufficient. So I, I don't know. I, I, I shudder at the idea that we're going to see a Rams loss, which we might say either say, and we're going to hear about how it was all a mistake. I hate that type of thinking. Right. Because, um, you know, and maybe people feel like this comes from a point of privilege because I'm a Patriots fan and we won six Super Bowls, but I don't like the idea that the Super Bowl is the only goal that leaves a lot of unhappy fans. That means 31 out of 32 fan bases are going to be unhappy at the end of every year. That just doesn't seem to me to be a way to maximize your enjoyment of football, which is the reason we all watch football. We don't watch football to be sad. We watch football to be happy. So I feel like if you're a Rams fan, you you really should consider this year a success. They made it to the playoffs. They won their division. They won two games in the playoffs. Like Even if you don't make it to the Super Bowl, I think you consider this year a success. It's not like they're fried for next year. Yeah, they're missing first-round picks, but, yeah, I'm sorry. Rivers, Rivers says we don't watch football to be sad. I, <laughs> I, can't, I mean, I don't know what to say about Houston fans. I, I try to look on the upside. I I try to look positive. I think it's fair that different teams have different uh, uh, expectations, though. Right. Like, just looking at the four teams here – it's a bigger deal if the Chiefs or Rams don't win the Super Bowl because the Rams have gone all in. They've got put all these effort into getting everyone together for this year and next. Right. The Chiefs have the half billion dollar quarterback. Anything that's not a championship feels like, well, you feel your team is the best in the league. You got to try it. For the Bengals, who haven't won a play, who hadn't won a playoff game in right. a generation and a half, getting here is a huge success because, well, you've for them got a long time. You look like you've got your quarterback and your wide receiver for the next decade. Now you can build around that. For the 49ers, it's you got here in basically a transitional year. That you're gonna you run this back next year with hopefully a better quarterback. So right. it's I think it's definitely there's definitely more of a feeling of failure for the Rams and Chiefs if they don't move on than it is for the Bengals and Niners who are playing with more house money at this point. Yeah. And, and I see Packers fans when they're mad every year because they've reached this level and they keep tripping over things. So I understand the anger and frustration about that. But, you know, when you look at your team, they say, well, here's what we did for you fans. Here is what we did for you. We changed the paradigm of what we're going to do and bring these guys in and look how much success we had at it. That. You know, from somebody who studies the games, like, I understand what they're doing. I understand the risk. It seems like a reasonable risk. A fan would be like, they're giving me everything I can possibly ask for. They're taking their best shot. It's not like what I would hate to. I would hate to be the, the narrative that no one would talk about is if, you know, Jared Goff was here and they lost in the wild card round. 
you know, and they did. And, and oh, well, Deshaun Jackson got hurt, but Odell was out there. But the culture of the team, we didn't do it. And no one would talk about that. But then there would be no enthusiasm. There would have been no game this week or no Monday night massacre of the Cardinals, all these other positive things that the Rams have done. Jeff Masterson says the Chiefs have been there and will be there. The Rams might be one or two and done. So the Rams have to do it now. I agree there's more pressure on the Rams, but I'm just saying I don't want I wouldn't want Rams fan fans to come away from this unhappy about this year if they lose right. this weekend. Right. And that's it. It's watching it as a non-fan, like this is exciting every week. The team is exciting to watch. Uh, you don't know what's going to happen next. That game was exciting. And, like, they look like one of the Super Bowl teams all year. We would not have been having that conversation with Jared Goff and these other guys in there. So that's part of it. And I think it goes back to what you say, Aaron. You know, the enthusiasm is on every Sunday when you come away with the win and you, you do a shot with your buddies. Or when you're having an argument in May on Twitter or, or, or you know, around the, the, the coffee shop. You don't get that at the team 7-9 or 7-10. and 10. It's not that level of interest. Those are the things that are part of the equation of being a fan. Um, say Stafford wins the Super Bowl on the back of two more good to great performances. What more do you want from him for the Hall of Fame? Occasionally being one of the top three quarterbacks in the yeah. conference might be a good start. I mean, yeah. I, yeah. I don't I don't think a title or two is really going is really going to help him out that much because he doesn't have. He has he has the raw like yardage numbers stuff like that, but he doesn't have the the acclaim that you would expect for someone on a Hall of Fame trajectory to have at this point in his career. He's probably better than Jim Plunkett, but yeah, I mean you know not everybody who wins a Super Bowl gets to go to the Hall of Fame. No, he's not a serious he's not a candidate in any meaningful way at all at this moment. He wins a Super Bowl. He has put one of the first things in his resume that would make him a Hall of Fame candidate, and then we'd have to see. Well, if you become a two-time winner, then we can probably talk about it. Uh, Joe Theismann would be an example of a guy who had a yeah. Super Bowl victory, who had a, a loss in a Super Bowl, who had a lot of great – A couple years A couple years is one of the top quarterbacks in the league. Yeah, yeah and was not ever considered a serious, a, a serious uh, finalist-level guy. So Yeah, that's a good comparison to Theismann. On Pro Football Reference, Stafford has a Hall of Fame monitor of 58.44, which puts him right between John Hadle and Phil Simms. And that's kind of where he is to a, to a certain extent. Right above Donovan McNabb, right below Steve McNair. It's, it's, it's that kind of range, which, I mean, it's been a good career. Don't get me yeah. wrong. It's, there's nothing embarrassing about not being a Hall of Fame quarterback. He, right. I don't right. think anyone's unhappy about him. But he, he's got he's to have like a Brady second half of his career if he wants to end up in, in Canton. Now, if we want to really make people argue, we point out that Eli Manning's career is pretty similar, except for the fact that he has two rings. Yes, except for the fact that he has two rings. Except for the fact that we, then we would be here for Right, right. And I don't love Eli as a candidate, but that's what it boils down to. <laughs> yeah, so right. if Stafford gets two rings, then we can go into that situation. And he has two rings and did not play in Oakland. <laughs> yes. Um, or, or there was a question from Hitchhiker's Pie about as fans, what would we rather have one year of your team with a 50% DVOA, two years at 40%, three years at 30%, or four years at 20%? Which is a DVOA stat way of asking the question Would you rather have one year where you are a historically dominant, very likely to win it all team? Or would you rather have four years where you were pretty comfortably in the mix? 
I'm very much. Like, it's it's really your preference as a fan. Right. I want to be in the mix as much as possible because the playoffs are random enough that uh that you know the best team doesn't always win or else we'd be talking about the 19 and 0 patriots still it's nice to occasion the more times you're the more times you're in there the more tickets you have to the dance the better chance you have of winning so i'd much rather have the four or five years of being very good than just the one year of being all-time dominant because eli manning's happen they do and i'd rather i'd rather you would want to avoid that with the insurance of being there over and over I keep looking at the one year of DVRF 50% and my brain goes to 2004 Eagles. And that was majestic while it was happening. And it's like now a bitter, bitter, bitter memory in there. So, yeah. But the thing is that's different because they were also the three years of 30% before that. So yeah, right. you're right. I want, I want to, I want to root for a winner. I want to go out on Sunday and say, I have a big chance of winning. This is going to be exciting. The bar is going to be full. We're going to be talking about it all week. I, I want that. And that's what you get for years and years of being a, you know, playoff, a high quality playoff team. As if, as a fan of a team who was in the discussion for the yeah. Super Bowl every year for a long time, it's really nice to be in the discussion yeah. of the Super Bowl every year for a long time. And a, a team that would get 20% DVOA every year, mm-hmm. you're in the discussion for the Super Maybe you're not the number one team every year, but like, as we see this year, the number one team, you know, I've, you know, listen, I'm a great believer in my numbers, but I think the number one team has actually won the Super Bowl like twice in the last 18 years or something. Like yeah. a lot of times the two, three, and four teams win the Super Bowl, not the one team. And Ryan Daniels is putting out the 2015 Panthers because I was trying to think of an example of a, you know, like a spike team. And, I, and I, that's it. That's, the that's a great example. Yes. Uh, and I don't know what the individual fan experience was for Panthers fans, but it's like – Getting that and then having it kind of dis- dissipate almost immediately afterwards—that's gotta, that's gotta be, you know, galling a little bit. Yeah, he says one historically great year is more palatable for fan bases that haven't enjoyed sustained success. Okay. I mean, he's right that that you know, Patriots and 49ers fans are gonna have different answers than Vikings and Bills fans here because you know, for us, always well, if you if you're good enough for long enough, you win titles. That's what happens. And Vikings and Bills fans go, well, actually, you know, <laughs> they'll, they'll they'll trade that 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 extended period of competition for just right. one more shot at the at the at the title. Right. And my opinion changed about four years ago on these yes. matters. Yeah. Yeah, it's nice to win a championship as a fan. Yes. Not a question about it. Someone asked about like what teams we wanted to win the Super Bowl at this point. And I can't remember if they, I don't know if they were asking us or if they were asking the other people in the chat. But obviously, Brian's a 49ers fan. I think we know who he wants to win. I think that would. That's, yeah, it's a tough call. But I do believe I want San Francisco to win. Yes. Um, do you have any opinion, Mike, personal opinion as to who I you want to win? I end up rooting to the Chiefs by default because I love watching them play, and I have a little Andy Reid uh, soft spot there. But I, I will be going in a couple of weeks. I will be attending. <laughs> in my brain, I'm trying to think of who are the good interviews here. Who are the, and I think the Bengals are going to be the really good interviews because Barrow's a pretty good interview. Uh, the tight end is Azuma. Azuma is a great interview. A legend, and I've never had the chance to speak with him or even be in the in the, in the gaggle with him. So uh, you know that that's that's where it gets at this point. Like I'm, I'm glad that the horrible interviews and that includes Brady and that includes Rogers are not there because even though I, I saw Garoppolo, like we got to talk to the, all those 49ers a couple of years ago, et cetera, same with the chiefs. They're still pretty fresh. They're still pretty fresh and interesting. Kittle is a lot of fun on the, on, on a podium. So is Kelsey. So I guess I'm rooting for the chiefs, but professional interest. You know. yeah. And I'll be honest. I'm 
no disrespect to Rob Weintraub, who's joining us for tomorrow's show. I'm rooting against the Bengals. Because of the DVOA element. Because I don't want to have to figure out or explain why the Bengals were so low in DVOA and won the Super Bowl. They would be the lowest team ever to win the Super Bowl. Uh, obviously, partly because of week 18 when they sat all their starters. But still, I don't. I, I I don't want to have to figure out what the hell happened. So I'm otherwise Rams, Chiefs, or 49ers doesn't really make any difference to me. I don't have any dog in that hunt. I don't have any money on it anymore. I have to tear up my Bills ticket. I had I had the Bills to win the AFC. So that's that's out. So did you actually tear it up? Did you like physically tear it up? No, I haven't yet. It's still sitting in my wallet along with the one ticket from that Vegas vacation that did cash, which was Chiefs to win their division, which I did oh, okay. Okay. I lost on the Cowboys. I lost on the Bills. I lost on my $5 what the hell bet on the Vikings. Oh, God. I would have won like 300 bucks. <laughs> Tomorrow on the podcast, rip, up all, rip them all up for us. And then I have the Chiefs ticket. I still have to send in for the Chiefs to win their division. Right. Uh, who are the worst DVOA winners? The 2007 Giants are the worst DVOA of any team to win the Super Bowl. And that was a not surprising because that was a bad team for much of the year. They were not considered taken seriously in any way as a Super Bowl contender for much of the year. And then they were at the end. Right. I did this actually for a podcast that I recorded earlier today about the 91 Redskins, hmm. the worst team to ever make the conference championships by DVOA is the 1995 Indianapolis Colts with Jim Harbaugh as the quarterback. They were nine and seven and made it all the way to the conference championships. Baker. The worst, the worst team to ever make the Super Bowl was the 2008 Cardinals, primarily because they had that snow game against the Patriots in Week 16 that they lost 47 to seven. And the worst team to actually win the Super Bowl was the 2007 Giants. Yeah, I remember those 2008 Cardinals beating the Eagles in the championship game in yeah. a wild back and forth game where they came back on them late in that game. The Eagles, who were actually number one in DVOA that year, despite being nine, six, and one. Uh, we were. A, yeah. 2008 was a weird year with no good teams. And, and the message boards came after us that year. They were coming in like, you, this is thumb on the, thumb on the scales for some reason. That, like, like you were an Eagles fan or something. I remember that now. Flynn, you'll have to watch my Twitter to figure out the podcast. It's a, some Washington podcast. I don't remember exactly what it's called. Uh, and Chad Reuter will finish this up. How much did Kansas City's defensive DVOA improve since the quarter poll? I believe they're like sixth. I believe they're like sixth in defensive DVOA since like week six. They were last for the first five games, and then they're like sixth since then. So, I mean, yeah, dramatic improvement from the Kansas City defense. No question about it. All right, folks, that does it for today's show. Do not forget, first of all, do not forget to watch us tomorrow at 1 p.m. It'll be me and Mike with Rob Weintraub, our resident Bengals fan, plus Vince Verhey, covering the championship conference championships and doing all of our stat previews. And then also check out Splash Play. It's the big show with lots of DFS talk Monday, Thursday, and Friday at 2.30 p.m. So you'll want to check that out also tomorrow. And then Friday, Scott Spratt will be back with his DFS overview. Thank you to everybody for watching the show. Please subscribe and like the show. Tell your friends about the show. Spread the word about the show. We'll be back again tomorrow at 1 p.m. to preview the conference championships. So long, everybody.